Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Talk Recorded live. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you are listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 553. My name is Eric Nelson, and with me today, I have my regular co-host, Matt Longus. Today is Wednesday, April 28th, 2021. Matt, can you believe it's already the end of April, going into May? That means the year is nearly half over. I just can't believe it. Eric, it, it's the old analogy is the older you get, the, the shorter the time is, right? It just seems like it's absolutely fine. I mean, e- even just within the last year, we've, we brought it up a couple of times now. Uh, pandemic aside, it just seems like things are just absolutely flying here. We have announcements coming up. I, I know with, with some major product developments and all things EUC, I just absolutely can't believe we're right up against May already. It's incredible. It is. It is. It is. Um, so uh, I'll I'll throw it back to you. What's the color of Pennsylvania these days? Right. Like how you well, you know, it, it's it's green. It's 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 lush. Uh, things are all things spring here. We actually hit our first 80 degree day uh, in central PA this week. Uh, it's actually pretty incredible out. Uh, very nice. The humidity of the, of the swamp bottom sometimes that we get here through the mid Atlantic hasn't quite hit yet. So uh, enjoying the spring weather and, and trying to take advantage of it before it just gets uh, crazy, stupid warm as they stay. But how are things with you, sir? How are things out there? What's uh, what's the weather like in all things West Coast and how's the color of the traditional day? All right, I'll get to that. But before I get to that, on the show today, we're going to be talking to Wouter Kirsten. Uh, he- we're going to be talking all things Horizon, APIs, Power CLI, Python, and I can't wait to hear him pronounce his name. He's from the Netherlands, so I'm sure he has a really cool way to say it. Uh, we're going to get to Wouter in a, in a minute, uh, but before we do that, we'll do a little bit of the news, and uh, the weather here is fantastic. It is, of course, coming into end of April, May, uh, beautiful, sunny, nice, warm California, dry, sunny, color of the bay is a light green, right? It's getting sunny and beautiful now. So the color of the bay is always changing. Uh, And before we get to the show and the news, uh, well, maybe I'll do the news first. So the news, the only real big news is, is we're going to do another announcement. So if you're in the VMware ecosystem and you're listening to this, you know that for the last year and a half now, we've been just doing these sign up and listen to our announcements because everything is now online. Everything is digital. Um, Hopefully the pandemic will open up and we'll get to go see each other in real time in VMUG meetings and V forums and VM worlds, uh, but for the rest of this year, I think it's still going to be a lot of online stuff. And we have another online event coming up, which is the Anywhere Workspace event, May fifth and sixth. You can go register for that. Um, I think it's kind of like a day event where they do an hour long session. They have some additional stuff that you can go play with and learn. Uh, they got some speakers. They're going to be talking about uh, the Anywhere Workspace bundles that are coming out. Uh, I think with a mix of uh, security and networking, some other things, edge networking. So probably worth your time if you're in the in that workspace uh, space to go check that out. You can register on vmware.com, uh, anywhere-workspace-event.html, or just go to the VMware site uh, on the front page. There's a register for the event. Go register for that and uh, enjoy yourself with yet another fun live stream Zoom environment that you get to uh, go watch people talk at you on your big screens. Hopefully by now you've got three or four screens in front of you and uh, you can watch a lot of other things while you got that playing on one of your screens as well. And uh, we'll do a quick shout out to Corey Romero. We'll ask him how Utah's doing and hear about what's going on with the experts. Corey, how's it going? Going well. You know, Utah, the weather is always changing. Um, Much like Matt, we're going to have an 80 degree day. I think it's going to be Saturday. Uh, I won't be in town, but, you know, it's going to happen in Utah. 
Um, as far as the experts go, we uh, just kicked off the V expert security program, and we have uh, got 36 V experts in that program. Now there are some some V experts that are going to roll over from the 2020 program due to COVID. Um, we haven't done that yet, so once we do that, we'll have a final number. Um, but that's going to happen here soon. And we still are working on the V expert Avi uh, load balancer program. So uh, if you're interested in that, you know, get your stuff together. Um, you know, next, you know, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to announce that and uh, we're going to open applications. Very nice. So the, uh, again, because we have over 2000 of the experts, 2,500, some number like that, it's good to have these sub programs so that you can kind of foster community, get involved with a, a set of a hundred or so people. And VMware has so many products now that you almost have to segment groups of people, right? I was, I was going through the VMTN site with all the community sections and we merged SDDC into cloud now. So if you happen to go to VMTN and you're looking for your SDDC dropdowns with vSphere, vSAN and NSX, that's all merged into now just the cloud dropdown. And if you look at the new .com site that came out last week as well, uh, they've done the same thing. All the products in one area, then we have like market segments, whether it's Tanzu or whether it's, uh, you know, application specific solutions. Uh, we've been, they've, they've kind of presented solutions, solutions, and then you have this is one bundle of all the products, but literally there are like 25 major product sections now, right? And I know, Corey, you've been dealing with the menu dropdowns on VMTN, and it starts getting challenging to have, we're gonna have these mega dropdowns to show all the different product solutions we have, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's 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 been fun, right? Yeah. Going through all the uh, all the category IDs and matching all those up to the menus and building that menu system out. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep, and uh, and now uh, we're in the same boat, and but which is cool that you got all the sub programs that's working, so that you can segment and and even on the show today we have you know community specialists like Wooter does Horizon right so uh, and 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 automation and API consumption so uh, even even experts you know in their blogs have specialties that they're focused on so it kind of goes that way as the company gets bigger and bigger but we still try to stay connected with everybody so it's good Matt anything else left with the news before uh, we move on to Wooter yes more V expert news uh, cohesity uh, will be starting their V expert giveaway next week so be out in the lookout on their socials I'm sure the V expert Slack and all things Twitter. Uh, those that you are of our listeners that are remembering that they gave away a great gift last year, I think of a, of a car charger or whatnot for, for V experts that were out there. So they're, they're doing another giveaway, even you know, usually the, the, the VM world type gifts uh, that, that we see for V experts and whatnot. Uh, Cohesity is kind enough to, to continue that tradition, even though what we're doing VM world uh, remotely this year. So they're trying to pick up the pace a little bit and, and do it earlier in the year and get that out there as a, as a great gift and a great reward for V experts. So be out and look on the social channels next week. Fantastic. Uh, and I should say it's Wouter, not Wooter, but he's going to tell us this uh, as we go. So Wouter, Kirsten, welcome to the show. I think I, we've had you on before, but uh, why don't you do the, uh, how do you say your name and what have you been doing in the VMware ecosystem? How long have you been here for new people that might not have heard of you before? Yeah, uh, I'm Wouter Kirsten. That's how we say it in Dutch. But yeah, yeah. But you're, you're, close, you're close enough. Now I've been a V expert since the second batch of 2016, and I started blogging that year. And I, yeah, on, on the main topic of today, the rise in APIs. I, actually, I just looked it up, and my first blog post was a little over four years ago, so April 2017. Nice, nice, nice. And what did you do? How long have you been working in the industry, and how did you get into the industry? Give us the two-minute explanation of uh, <laughs> why you geeked out uh, doing IT. Um, I dropped out of school at some oh, point. Nice. I started working at 18, did cabling installations, and I, at some point I got a chance to do an MCZ program for all kinds of people not working in the industry. Right. That's how I rolled into it. And at some point the company decided, oh, we want to educate our people on VMware. That reminds me of a story, you know, not to take an aside too long here, but uh, a few years ago when we had cloud cred and we were looking at way to group people, uh, I, sh I showed up at a presentation. I went, hey, guys, how would you, it's just a meeting, right? Said, how would you guys like to for us to uh, 
build university groupings, right? You know, like what university you actually went to and graduated from. So we could have like little groupings of university people. And everybody looked at me with like a kind of like this uh, puzzled look. And I'm like, oh, okay. Because um, I talked to afterwards and we're like, yeah, like nine out of 10 people that were in the, in the, in the meetings talking uh, didn't, didn't go to university, right? Like they, would, they had worked in different careers and different other things and ended up in IT, uh, which if you really look at what I did, uh, same kind of thing. I ended up in IT because I didn't like what I studied at university, right? And then I came back through and uh, you know, work here. So yeah, that makes sense, right? Uh, good there. How long have you been working in IT? How many years? It's been 20, 22 years, 29, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. You look like you're 12 years old, so you've done, you've done well. You're gonna have to share me that secret. Oh uh, well, I, I I lost a few pounds here and there the last couple of years, so. That's nice, nice, nice. All right, well, let's uh, talk a little bit about your blog, and uh, we know we're going to talk about Horizon and automation. So, um, why don't we first just talk a little bit about um, your blog? You have multiple sections on your blog. So, um, your blog—I'll just do a shout out to that—is www.retouw.nl. What does that stand for? Uh, check my first name and read it from back to front. Ah, your first name. <laughs> Got it. Only with O and U in Wouter, the correct order. Wouter.nl. And Netherlands, obviously, NL. So that, yeah. that now that explains it, your, your name backwards. I should do that. That's a good idea. All right. There you go. Uh, so your blog, uh, obviously, you're gonna, you specialize on the blog. You have several different sections on the blog. Looks like it's on WordPress. Nice-looking nice blog. And you, you, you specialize pretty much in API consumption, right, in the blog. A lot of the things that you're doing and blogging yeah. about are using uh, APIs and Horizon APIs for that. How did you get into this space? Why and how? I, at some point, I worked for an uh, MSP, and we did a lot of daily checks, things like that. And I introduced uh, one of the first versions of the VCheck over there. Okay. And the moment I saw that there were Horizon APIs, I was like, yeah, we need a VCheck for Horizon because, yeah, we don't have anything like that. I need it. And that's how I started learning it. I right. didn't know a damn thing about APIs, about you, how, how to use them. So, but I learned it all myself. And and you have a series, right? That that if you Horizon API Basics, we'll get into that. I guess we'll talk about that first, right? Which is connecting queries, methods, and then Power CLI kind of work on uh, new API query query services and that. Um, how long does it take if you're starting to automate? How long will it take to kind of consume this and start start using the APIs? And do you have to? decide whether you're going to use Power CLI or Python. What's your advice on somebody new getting started? And then, then we'll talk about some of the advanced stuff here. Uh, depends on what you need to do, because uh, the Python module is based on the REST APIs, and those are not 100% feature complete yet. So you can't create a desktop pool, for example. You can create RDS farms since the latest Horizon version, but that's it's not so if you need to create desktop pools, you need to use SOAP API, so you need to use PowerCLI. Right. Okay. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, what's the easiest way to, to compare that? Right. Is, is there a, a method, or how would I know if I want to accomplish a task from Python versus PowerCLI? What's available in the current API module versus what I would need to do? So, uh, the easiest is to use the uh, API Explorer. So there's listed per Horizon version that you have, because also the REST API depends on the version that you have, what is available for you. It has all the methods and everything that you can actually do. And they're both separate API Explorers for uh, SOAP APIs and for the REST APIs, all available on uh, code on the code side, the VMware code side. Yeah, I was going to say code.vmware.com has a whole module, whole section called API Explorer that will actually help anyone understand what APIs are available for their versions. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and for most people, if the REST API is not for you, most already use some kind of REST API. The SOAP API is harder to get started with. So if you're starting from scratch and you don't mind missing some of the functions right now, I would start with the REST API. Also because SOAP API is getting developed, but you can safely assume that the REST API will have more functionality in the end than the SOAP API. 
that's where we're going. So when you're using REST APIs, uh, you have to know enough programming in a language to be able to consume the REST APIs, right? Because REST yes. is a, you know, either a Python construction or uh, what other language can I consume? I guess like a web HTML, there is a way to, you know, to consume uh, REST APIs, but what's what's the? I guess Python is the best way to kind of start consuming those REST APIs. I started with PowerShell, and that just does the API calls. But for me, I started 100 Days of Code earlier this year, and that gave me oh, this thing. It's we call it a dictionary in Python. It's almost the same thing as what we send into a REST API. So there so much similarities in how things are built. So if you know a bit of Python, I think Python is one of the easiest way to actually consume the REST API. Okay. So looking at the 100 days of code, day one, right? Like uh, today I work with printing to screen, right? And then you just give a couple of commands uh, there. That isn't what language? If I'm starting there, what do I- That's I all, uh, most of what I've posted about 100 days of code is in Python. Okay. Because I started with, there is a course on Udemy about 100 days of code in Python. And that's what I started with. And how, how I learned the most is by actually applying things that I am interested in. So in my case, Horizon API. So I did the first few weeks, I did the basics. Learning Python, I knew a bit, but but not a lot. And in the end, it started, okay, let's, let's try to create a module for Horizon, a Python module for Horizon. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. So looking at this uh, Horizon Basics, we'll bump, bump, jump back to Horizon Basics before we get into the 100 days. Um, you have connecting. Do you want to take us through kind of a summary of connecting queries and methods? Like just what are those sections uh, uh, doing or are the articles themselves? Looks like it's you know enough that you can really get started and follow through on your sc screenshots to actually make things happen, right? So why don't we just cover a little bit about uh, when the the first one, which is basics connecting. What is connecting about? Yeah, connecting is all about the first steps that you that you need to take because the the power CLI for Horizon it technically has only two commands: connect and disconnect. So you need to find a way to connect to your Horizon environment and actually use those APIs because that's the only thing that PowerCLI does. It connect makes you connect to those APIs. It doesn't give you, by default, a, a get Horizon pool or something like that. Nothing's in there. Right. So you need to start connecting. And but there there is a PowerShell module uh, made by VMware and maintained by uh, the community and and, uh, and VMware itself to to do more. Yeah, you start, you connect to your connection server, and by default, you'll get a pop-up. Okay, enter username, password, what, you, what you're used to. But you can, for example, also do uh, is pass the username, password, as plain text to connect to that Horizon environment. Cool. Right. If you're a bit more advanced, you create a credential file where everything is stored. Right. Then you move into part two, queries and you give the list of data objects, which is nice, right? So you can see how to query uh, anything that's uh, useful here if somebody's trying to follow along. Um, the most, the, the standard useful ones are actually the session uh, queries because the, with the, uh, the standard methods, you cannot get a list of all current sessions for your Horizon environment. So if you want to know who are currently connected, what desktops have been deployed, you will need to use the queries. Right. Is there any relevant information in there, Wooter, that you found that would be lacking out of the standard UI that would be uh, relevant as far as you know session length or being able to, to filter out that, that really you can only extract out of that API call? Yeah, that, the, the filter really just yeah, the, the filtering is, is better because in, 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 the, in the console, you only get your standard things. Uh, with sessions, you have, you see the session, in, in the list, you see a session global. So if you're connected to one Horizon pod, you can also see the sessions that have been connected to a global entitlement on other pods. And that's the only API call for Horizon where you can cross pods to get session information. Otherwise, you're going to the individual pod itself. Otherwise, for configuration, for things like that, you need to go to the separate pods. 
and and there are some uh, methods that's part three that that you don't even have in the in the in the admin console. I noticed there in the blog you actually have a link to the API Explorer. So when you're looking at the the APIs, you can just click there, go to the API Explorer, and check out that. And they do have nice little sample codes in the APIs themselves. Um, one thing that hits me here when looking at your blog: um, Do you actually ever publish um, any of your you know full code bits? Like here's how to make something work, right? From because what I'm looking at here is a bunch of like sample code that just shows. A, the actual objects themselves and how to use those. Uh, do you ever publish anything on GitHub or do you have any recommendations? I, I have a few that are available on GitHub. Uh, for the Python part, I'm publishing more, but I, I finished the 100 days a couple of weeks ago and I, I, I had to recover a bit from it. So I need to start more, but yeah, I and, and people all the time, they approach me. Uh, how do we do this? How do we do that? And often I just create a script for them and put that on my GitHub for them. What is your GitHub? Uh, I always need to check. I believe it was Magnet or Magnet underscore NL. And Magnet. Okay, Magnet. M A G N double E T. Oh, Magnet. It's, it's oh, a nickname yeah. Same that as I've yours. had for 25 years. Right, and uh, we'd we'd do that out. And say that hey, uh, your uh, your Twitter handle, if you want to follow, uh, is it's Magnet underscore NL. So yeah, related. M A G N E E T underbar NL. Right, and uh, that's also then if you search on that on GitHub, you should see your repository of things that you've published there. So also yeah. nice to nice to have. Um, okay, we've got uh, queries, methods. Uh, same methods, the same thing. Just to how to how to use the APIs, uh, and then showcasing some of the methods for all the calls. Is there something I'm missing here? What else do we need to know there? Uh, some of the more useful ones are that you are able to forcefully log off user, for example. So from the Ryzen admin console, if you do a log off and the session is locked, so the Windows key L or something, or they have been disconnected, it won't log that user off. It just won't work. But there is a forced log off, for example, from the APIs. And and something very useful would be uh, sending messages to users, because it, again, in the console, you would do it per session, you can send a message. And using the APIs, you can mass send a message to a selection of uh, sessions that you have uh, pulled down uh, using queries. It'd be super useful for your when you're recomposing pools, right? Where you, you would message the, the entire desktop pool or, or for a, yep. a maintenance operation and say, hey, you know, tw 12 hours from now or four hours from now that all sessions will be disconnected. Send out another one a couple of minutes before you actually do the recompose. And then yep. for everyone that doesn't log off, you run the script, force the log off, and then kick the pool recompose off. Things like that, and and that's just that's just not available from the from the console from the admin console. When you when you build, are, uh, go, sorry, ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Matt. Please, go ahead. No, go ahead. So, what are other examples of of commands like that? So, practical applications. I'm thinking for for our listeners that are out there that there's still that gap, right? Where we hear so many that haven't gone down the path of even Power CLI to start to these automation processes. And you just gave a great example of, hey, why would you want to do that? Why why is it that you wouldn't even look at, at moving through these automation steps to make your day-to-day -day life easier? What, so what about, talk about a log off routine? So yeah. what's another, a couple more of those things that you've run across? And that what, one very useful here. Yeah. yeah, one very useful one is actually from the, from the PowerShell community module, the VMware HV helper. Uh, think about creating a desktop pool in three seconds. You can you can have your JSON file built with all the settings that you need, and just change the few things that you need for the extra pool, and you create a new pool with with the, the JSON file in yeah in a couple of seconds. So rather than switching through all of those screens of what protocol and resolution and what, what you went, how many desktops that you went pre-populated and worrying about that you miskeyed something and you put instead of 250 desktops, you put, you know, 2,500. Yeah, <laughs> things like, yeah. And then exactly. provisioning takes forever. It's that, the idea that you're being consistent yep. with that full deployment. Sure. Yep. Yeah, so you, so you know in code, so you can have everything defined. Okay, I want to have this. Think like if people, lessons who are familiar with Ansible, you can can have everything in code. If you have the Python module, I can have, have a JSON file with all my settings that I need, and I just run it. 
I also saw out there that you have um, an image redeployment uh, module or an image redeployment routine as far as when you're going to do recompose operations. Do you want to get into that? I thought that was a, a great example. Do you want to get into That's that? That's very bit? useful indeed. Yeah. If if you if you want if you need to re if you have like 15, 16 different desktop pools and three ports or whatever, you just script it. You 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 know, okay, it's this image that I need, this snapshot, it's available on all those machines, or you have it distributed using something else, and you just you run your script at that moment of time that you okay. We have to go, we can deploy, let's do it. Now, would it matter if, would all of those particular pods need to be on-premise deployments? Or could we also consume this if like this was a, um, a Horizon on Azure instance? Uh, with the REST APIs, there are ways to uh, do some some Im some imaging things for, it, it can use the, Published images, but it's only for the on-prem. It can use the same image stream, so you can use those image streams that you have set for the cloud that also can be used for Azure, but the Horizon part itself, it's it has to connect to a connection server. Okay. Yeah. And what about just for like the, the log off operations, like the, the other routines that you had mentioned where you're consuming this API? Does that differ when you're looking at some of the, the, the cloud offerings that we have with partners with the Horizon service? I'm not sure. I, to be honest, I I, I haven't used VM Horizon uh, on Azure yet, so <laughs> I'm uh, mostly being on-prem. So something and, to dive into, sure, certainly. Yeah, 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 it's something that 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 we need to research. But I don't, I'm not aware that there's an API endpoint that we can connect to. Well, if there's not, there, though, I'm sure that it's something that's going to be in development. Uh, it should be. What are the Period. One of the things that uh, strikes me whenever I'm setting up to do engineering, right, is what does my build environment look like or what does my test environment look like? How do I verify that what I've written actually works? And then how do I debug when it doesn't work, right? So I guess I ask you a couple of those questions. Like when you're setting this up, like uh, what do you, what are, do you have to see a home lab? You run it local, make sure this, this is doing what it's behaving to, then do you actually then use it in uh, production and then, follow up to that like where do you put stuff do you just put it in a directory a bin directory where you're just going to shell in and then run your favorite thing uh, but let's talk about how you do how you set up your build environment first and how you do dev and testing then we'll get to like how do you actually run it operationally yeah so so for me i i work for control up these days so i don't really run a production environment anymore so we in our console i actually wrote some scripts that use horizon apis for example and um but yeah i would do do it in test can i do this can i how does this work uh redeploying image does it work and then it's literally just yeah changing the connection server name or a vcenter name to what i needed to use in production i i feel a lot of horizon admins not all of them are the best automators yet they're, they're still comfortable clicking those clicks and doing all of that you see more in the vSphere, people coming from vSphere who try to who want to try it. But the rising guys, not always, there are plenty of them who do it, but not always, they, it's scary for them. Right. They're GUI focused, right? They're, yep. they're, they're used to, to that, that graphical interface, deploying it out to desktops that, you know, I, I can see it's, it's more of, of the admin mentality sometimes to, yep. to make that switch. So this reminds me. This reminds me of doing Mac, uh, sometimes Mac scripting, where you know you've got your GUI up on your desktop, but you can write scripts that do all kinds of things, and then you watch the stuff happening on the GUI, right? Where I have my desktop up and I'm running a script that's going and calling out big files, or whatever, and 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 then you kind of watch stuff moving on your desktop and disappearing and changing. Um, I guess you can do that kind of in this space, right? Where you have your horizon, you have your GUI up, and then you go run your app, right? Right, your 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 Python, and it goes off and does something. You watch, you get visual verification that what you just did actually worked, right? Uh, and then, and then that gives you some confidence that you could try this in a kind of a larger environment. Yeah, and if if they want to start doing by pulling in information, not changing anything, if they right. start pulling all the information, see what you can get, get familiar yeah. with that, get to know it, and then you can continue with creating things. 
Yeah, right, right. You can go query and print out, right, and then know that you got what you got from the from the commands, right? And then, yeah, that's a that's a good example of that. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, hit a connection server, check the pool, see what what, what logon times are, right? See what the, the existing logon times are, and if you can get that far, then then start some manipulation from there. Yeah, or, or one one thing that I have in, in the VCheck, for example, are all my desktops based on the correct golden image, the correct snapshot currently? Or do I have a couple of left that are still on the, from a release three, uh, three releases ago? Because <laughs> those are always now, around. Along those lines, Wooter, and to give you a little plug to your employer, have you started to integrate workflows such that we talked about, you know, it, uh, recomposing desktop pools and pushing out new images. Have you gone as far as to, to look at like performance evaluations or, you know, integrating some of the things that control up does if let's say that we wanted to roll out a new test pool that mm -hmm. used, a, you know, a newer version of, of win 10, like we saw a major re revision, like we went from 1809 to, to 1903 and you wanted to check performance from like to like uh, desktop pools minus what you were changing in the image. Have you gone this down far? Is, is, I know that's a, a little more advanced than what we've been talking about, but to try to bring that up to the next level of, of saying, okay, not only am I automating the deployment of the image to a new pool, but then we're testing to see where the performance gaps are now with some of the things that are available through controller. Well, one, one of the most popular scripts, because we have the script action library, is the analyze Laurent duration. And that's one that gives you information, okay, what has happened? What F volumes have been loaded? What DEM, uh, how long do, took DEM uh, profile, all of those things. And what a lot of customers actually do, they create a trigger. If the Laurent duration was too long, let's say more than 60 seconds, the script is run automatically and it will send me the output of that script in my email. So I don't need to wait for that user to complain that Laurent took too long because they always do that five minutes before they go home. And by the time you see the ticket, they're already, the session is gone. You already have the results of, of that test to see, okay, was Laurent time good in your inbox? Mm. Nice. All right, so uh, I think that covers most of the, the Horizon Basics section. You do have one other article in here, pulling event information about the SQL password. I'm not, I'm not allowed by uh, Andrew Morgan anymore to talk about that That's, one. Exactly. <laughs> that, that reminds me of the time I talked. I wrote an article on sniffing hotel networks, and people yelled at me for doing that, so I stopped. Uh, technically, you can pull in event information from Horizon, but it gives a high load on the, on your connection server, so it's advisable to have someone with SQL knowledge to actually uh, make an application directly to SQL. Right, that makes sense. All right, let's talk about your hundred days of code, right? Which is, uh, I'm looking. I think you finished it, right? Like, so, although I'm not yeah. sure it's a hundred, it looks like it's 28 days of code. But why don't you talk a no, little I, bit about I, that? I didn't create blog posts for all days anymore. Now, <laughs> at some point <laughs> when I start working on the APIs, I just put out the, the tweets and, and things like that. So, but right. yeah, I finished it. Yeah. So, what is uh, what what was that about? And was it fun? And would you recommend anybody doing that? And uh, is it something that people can follow along with? So, tell us about that. Yeah, it, it's a hundred days of code. I'm not sure who started it. Uh, there's a website, hunderddaysofcode.com, and it's just all about challenging yourself, learning something new. Some parts for me, it was still my day job, but I was learning new things. But you, you most of the time, there are more people who have done it, and uh, for, just uh, go to the, uh, open the hashtag 100 days of code on, on Twitter and you'll see a lot of people doing it each and every day. Right. right. And it, for me, it was learning, relearning Python. I knew a basic of it. So I followed that course and I thought, okay, now I'm going to work on that Python module. That's something that's useful for me. It's useful for the community. Yeah. And it fills 100 days. It, it, it's a commitment that every day you uh, code for at least an hour and you tweet about it and, and and share, yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Just share your stuff, right? That makes sense, right? And uh, uh, was it was it useful? Would you recommend it? I loved it. Interesting. <laughs> you learn new stuff. You get motivated. I I try to do it early in the mornings because I've taken that it's the best time for me to learn new things. 
not do it do it after the evening when you already worked eight or nine hours. Yeah. So yeah, I, I it was very learn. I learned a lot. I, not only did Python uh, for Contralope, we do some things in Splunk. So so every now and then I was uh, writing some Splunk code as well. Right. But yeah, I learned a lot from it. At some point, yeah, the Ryzen APIs it was copy pass and I could repeat things. But still, oh, now I run to an issue. What's happening here? And that, then that's when you learn the most. One of my biggest challenges with this whole thing is. Uh, I'm going to get fired because I have a hard time letting go once I start something and you get involved in it. So one question for you is how do you manage to let go once you start on some little bit of code? I end up doing it all day and all night. It's like binge watching Netflix. I just I can't let go of some little cool thing I start writing. How did you force yourself to stop every day and then do your day job? And that's also an advantage of doing it in the morning. I do have my meetings with customers that I need to make. So. <laughs> I guess, I I guess if you breakfast. have like hard stop critical me meetings you have to do with customers. Did you find yourself challenged by that though? Letting, yeah, turning yourself off? Yeah. yeah, so especially when things were not working, I would go back in the evening or whatever and spend several hours and, oh, I need to go to bed. I'll need to continue tomorrow. I'll fix it, but yeah, <laughs> you know you're close to finding the issue and then yeah, at some point you, you got to stop. Yeah, I, I find that or that or I do bad code because I realize I've run out of time. And so I just hack the last little bit or I, I stop or something like that. So I think that's one of the bigger challenges of uh, 100 days. But maybe maybe somebody should do like a 52 week once a week do something so that I could finish whatever it is I need to accomplish. But uh, I, I saw some of the expert doing 100 days of code or run challenge. Or, or you run. had to write code or you had to run for an hour. Yeah. Yeah, it is uh, on chat. Uh, Graham mentions that it's like it's equivalent of the five minute uh, warning, right? Just five more minutes, mom. I just yeah. need more. I need five more minutes. And like next thing you know, I've missed some critical meetings because I couldn't let go. And then I realized the time slipped away. And the next thing you know, I missed a. Tw I come 20 minutes late to a meeting, which. Uh, people yell at me for right now on occasion, but yeah. that's that's pretty interesting. Uh, did you have any uh, favorites that you discovered, like that you went, wow, the, of the top twenty projects or whatever that you did? What what were what, any any favorites? Nah, the, the, the Horizon Python module that was my favorite because that's where my heart is. The rest of the Python stuff was just learning new things and some of the CSV handling, so you can have your in-memory database playing with things like that. PowerShell just isn't good at stuff like that. Python is way better at, at, at data, at big data than, than PowerShell ever will be. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what's on the horizon for you? Uh, I know that uh, you're never going to stop doing anything. Anything that uh, you think for the rest of the year might be challenging? I'm not sure. I, now I need to keep up with the Horizon module, of course, when the new uh, Horizon version comes out. So I will need to update it again then. With the new uh, for the rest of the year, All right? Cool. I want to do I want to do events in person again. Please. No, I think we're all going to be stuck on Zoom forever and ever, right? I, I was thinking of that by myself. That is kind of my my the biggest thing. Like, uh, when can we just go meet people again and do sessions and watch somebody real time talk in person, right? Versus yeah, yeah. yeah meet your customers in person. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. People, yeah, community. That's uh, to some degree. This community is our customers, from my perspective. I, 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 I started two weeks before the rest of the world started working from home as well, and they promised me twenty-five percent of traveling, and that twenty-five percent only has been from the kitchen to the attic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Getting yeah. coffee. <laughs> yeah. I'm also struggling now with uh, Matt. I don't know if you've experienced this, but like now that I am free, I think my family now has all gotten their vaccine. They're second in, so I got another week left. But then they're they're hitting me with like, hey, I would like to go to Chicago. I have a kid at University of Chicago. We could go up there and spend three days and you know hang out at Airbnb and then you know see his campus because he's this is his first year there and he's been sequestered. And I'm like starting to struggle with. Am I okay? Can I can I travel? What does travel mean? Do I know how to drive my car? Like I got to book tickets. I have to get on an airplane. Like all these skills that I have completely gone rusty on. I'm not sure I even want to do it. Even though I want to do it, I want to go meet people. Like the thought of actually having to pack a suitcase, find my suitcase, pack it, travel somewhere, get to a new place, unpack the suitcase, 
wear clean clothes, take a shower every day, shave, and all these things that are like bundling up going like, oh, I want to do it, but I don't know if I'm, anybody else having that fear of getting started? It's amazing how, in what is a relatively short time, how new trends and behaviors can get ingrained, not only to just yourself, but nations, countries, you know, just our, our new way of being. And it didn't seem like it took that that all that long, right? For what we knew before to where we're at now, it's a whole other period of what is going to be readjusting to what was. Right. So I think, yeah, that they're sure that there's, that just as we walked into it with trepidation, that there was going to be trepidation coming back out to it and readjusting to the, the way things used to be. I, I, I do hope that, yeah, I do hope that most people will keep, keep stay keeping their distance from others. I do like that one. <laughs> keep, keep it five feet away from me. <laughs> I don't mind that one. <laughs> You can see, yeah, maybe even mask wearing, right? We, we've seen the countries, especially over in, you know, APJ and whatnot, be very respectful for with that. When when someone is just sick with a, with a common cold, that, that they have that as a societal thing, where they'll wear a mask just to be, you know, as, as a gesture yeah. of, of respect. And maybe that's something that will carry over. Maybe it won't. Yeah. There's... Uh, but definitely there, there will be changes. And, and definitely I think that there, there's going to be that, a readoption period and a settling of of a combination of, of what we've gone through compared to to where we were. Yeah, I think that uh, the year before the pandemic, I think I had traveled like every every two times a month, right? So every other week, either going to VMUGs or going to code events or you know just being at places. Or then you have VM Worlds, you have AWS reInvent, and I look at it now and I go every two weeks. I like, I, I don't know if I can go every once, like uh, trying to deal with what it means to go somewhere and uh, like, yeah, all. Yeah. So there's definitely an adjustment then. And I don't know if we need a reverse anti-pandemic to get us to all go outside and actually start doing this. Maybe it's just uh, another three or four weeks while everybody kind of gets their vaccines and everybody starts opening up and maybe I should, just start thinking about going to Pete's coffee first, right? Like let's just try to go out somewhere neutral and in, and sit at a table and feel comfortable and get used to the bright lights and people going by then make the next step, which is maybe I'll meet some people and actually talk about business, right? Like uh, some, some people in the Bay area and have a conversation about, you know, something right around work, right. And get used to having work conversations external again, and then maybe take that next step, right. Which is okay. Now I'm going to go on a business trip and meet some people. I I just, yeah, I think that's going to be one of my biggest challenges. So, uh, Wouter, to your point, uh, goal for this year, just getting out, trying to trying to yeah. reassimilate back into society, right? Uh, and, and to bring this full circle, right? I mean, it's it's what we're looking at with Horizon and the digital workspace, you know, platform that we've put out there as VMware, right? So that, that it doesn't necessarily matter if you're at that home office or the remote work site or to Eric, to your point, traveling you know, for business or pleasure where you're still having that advantage of whatever device that you're on at the time that you're there, you still have access to a consistent user experience that it allows that travel and allows that a freedom and, and movement and, and it, um, getting back to what this normalization might be uh, of, as we come into to more travel and, and to getting back to, to the way things work. Yeah, and I don't think it will completely go back. People are getting yeah. they now. They now know what working from home is for a lot of people, and they Absolutely. won't do it. They won't do it full time. They want to go to the office two, maybe three days, but that's it. Yeah, Jack, where, do you, where do you see? Do you see that that mix? Do you see that yourself adopting that? Where you that you're so, at yeah. home for a couple of days, or, or and you're back in the office. 
So mine is an interesting one because uh, I'm I'm like the hard use case too, right? Or the the really intense use case, which is I only live five minutes away from work in Palo Alto, which is a beautiful place. It's VMware's corporate headquarters, and I live in Palo Alto, so uh, my commute is easy. The office is beautiful, and you know, ideally, I should want to go back to work because it, it was a beautiful experience, nice cafeterias, everybody's there, and it was it was pretty cool. If you've ever been to the VMware uh, Palo Alto campus, it's beautiful. But here's the deal, like, uh, there's not going to be everybody there, right? Because half the people, at least, are not going to work in the office. So the office is going to be kind of crickety, right? Like a lonely, right? Uh, one. Two, VMware is talking about reconfiguring all the offices for, like, drop-ins because they know only 50 Less than 50% of the people are going to come back. Probably only 30% of the people are going to come back on any style. So then I start in my mind thinking like, okay, so I'm going to go to this place that has like drop-in cubes that's not static where people aren't going to be there that I'd normally go meet and say hello and engage with. So it's going to actually be easier to engage with people on Zoom, find them, meet with them, engage with them. And because 60% of the people are going to be doing that, that means all the Zoom meetings are going to continue to happen either way. So then what left at the campus right uh well we got a really nice podcast studio and uh you know maybe free snacks right but then so then i, I start comparing like what am i going to get when i go there and it's like there isn't going to be that much value to go there any longer right like and maybe carol uh, kennedy our cmo will work in the office and maybe some of these people that really need to be leadership teams uh but even then i'm not even sure my boss works out of marin so he's not going to come in he's already said i'm not going to come to the office maybe once a week if i'm lucky but probably not even that so so then i'm like yeah okay so then the companies themselves do they actually want us back Right. Like there's a lot of savings if everybody moves to the remote model. Right. Like uh, they don't have to pay for electric, AC, uh, power, you know, like that. corporate yeah. real estate is right. expensive, especially yeah. in the Bay Area. Yes, it is. Right. So my guess is when this all irons out, if you have to ask me what's going to happen, I think that companies are going to realize that there's cost savings and not doing this, uh, that it's working, that we're producing and that we'll produce some kind of small hybrid, get everybody together. Maybe we'll have a quarterly VMworld event or, you know, employee event or something where people can come in and meet each other and do some activities to bond. But aside from that, um, I'm thinking that maybe the the days of the corporate offices are at an end, right? Like uh, maybe not. I could be wrong, but uh, that's my take. And I haven't seen a, a clear value prop that I would need to go back to the office, right? So that's Certainly. my take. What are, you interface with with large global companies all the time, and you're, you're right at the forefront of where their digital workspace strategy is, and this goes hand in hand with the topic. What yeah. have you seen? What what have you seen? through, you know, what are customers looking at? How are they adopting this? What is your, what's control up doing to address this situation? Uh, yeah, and yeah. what are your customers, what are, what are they doing? What, how are they trying to adjust to, to what this new normal is? What I'm seeing, most of my customers, they maybe go to the office one or two days a week. That's it. They are expecting their users to work from home and, and they're changing the strategies for that. So they are now shipping thing clients to home, do things like that. It's more, for us, it's changing also to monitoring more physical endpoints. Because from Contralup, we have always been mostly about virtual endpoints, of course. But with our new product, we, we also do physical endpoints. We, we see that changing. And they are more aware of the quality of their VDI environments now. That's what we are seeing. Because they were used to, ah, they're in the office and it will be okay. But now they're working from home. It's getting more fragile because of the connections, the home connection being not that good or things like that. Have you seen a difference in, as far as adoption between thin clients and let's call it even stripped down or, or win 10 boxes where they're connecting? If you have a, a, an environment where they're primarily virtual desktops, between the US and Europe, are they more likely to use a full-blown Win 10 device to connect to their virtual desktop or a thin client? It's a hard one. I, I think mostly it, it, it will be the, the thin clients or a Chrome OS machine, things like that. So slimmer, less, uh, less, mostly less powerful. But we do have some that all, all they, they, they ship all laptops to, to their users. 
I'm not sure what, what it is, if it's just ingrained or, of, of how much more adopting it is within the, you know, the European countries with VDI as a whole, but they seemed like that they were they're more focused on thin clients or Chrome OS devices, whereas NORAM, it's more likely, even if they're getting a virtual desktop, that they'll still get a full-blown Win 10 laptop. Yeah, I, I think just like they're, they're saying in the chat, because they use the Win 10 box because they already had them. If they're going to buy new, it, it, it might be different in that case. Sure, deploying what they already had and then just connecting to, to a secure desktop. Yeah, and they, they might- Repurposing old hardware, sure. Yeah, they might have just grabbed those desktops in the office, re-imaged them with this uh, lockdown system, more lockdown system, and ship those to the people at home. Yeah. It, it, it'll be interesting to see whether, you know, Pat Gelsinger over in Intel and the whole Intel crowd and the, you know, the whole world, you could, you could go either way, right? You can go to the Google Chromebook, super cheap, ARM-based, you know, why do you need anything super, as long as I can run a monitor to, you know, whatever is running gets distributed through my enterprise payload delivery to out to the edge. Uh, that's all you need. Then there's this other piece of, yeah, but I want to have kind of like my, my Windows, you know, complete environment that I, so I can run my Netflix, I can do, I can do everything sitting at my home office environment, which is now my main, it's almost shouldn't call it a home environment. Now we should come up with a new name, right? It's like your, your home cave, right? Your man cave or your whatever, which has a pretty heavy compute unit that's doing a lot more things than just your work environment. Then your work environment gets delivered via Edge VM, which creates like, you know, uses one of your screens of, partial partial windows 10 environment but then i've got that machine doing a lot of other things too so i guess it could go either way or maybe there will be superpower users like us that you know do have our own spaces and build that out and then there's other people that just flip open a chromebook and uh you know do their job and go do whatever their real life is and the one Offline thing i use cases are, are, i'm sorry would go ahead, the, the, the one thing i don't see that much is the real bring your own device so they use their own device to connect to their VDI environment. Most of the time, it's still a company management system that they use. Interesting. Yeah. I think that will come, right? I mean, that that it's, it's it could be a control thing. shift. Sure, sure. It's also a control point of, of a traditional, you know, over management. And I think it, it's I shouldn't say over management. So let's call it you know traditional corporate management, where they wanted to absolutely own every point of the, the um, employee's IT experience. Yeah. And part of that is owning the device. But what yeah, we're but thinking it, right now with, with Workspace ONE and where you can offer a similar experience in, in, in BYOD, it's just going to take more and more of those you know, smaller shops to get up to more medium enterprise and then make that market penetration. I'm sure we've seen it, but it's to, we're, to your point, it's definitely not what's absolutely out there. Yeah, it, it, and, and it's also, does the user want to use his own device? Is it even capable enough of running all of that? Yeah, I definitely see the, the security issues being the, the main thing. If you look at VMware and they give me a Mac laptop now, the thing is so, so, you know, locked down, encrypted, storage encrypted, you know, got to be constantly online through their encryption protocols um, that I can't see actually using my own gear for that. It just won't pass their security criteria. So, uh, yeah, I think I think you, uh, Wouter, could be right in that um, you're not going to use your personal devices, right? You're not going to mix the two. You're going to have one separate one for work and one not. I think, yeah. At some point, I had, had users tell us, yeah, you want to use SMS for two-factor authentication? Yeah, you better provide me a phone with, because I'm not giving you my personal phone number for it. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That and uh, they completely destroy my ability to use my own machine to do whatever I want, right? Because it, it 
bumps up against what 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 they're allowing and not allowing right like uh, good luck installing an app good luck getting root password doing any kind of development any kind of testing it just none nothing of it works so that therefore i have you know i actually run my own machine and i just barely keep vmware connectivity enabled right that's almost what i do which is i just choose to run my own stuff and i just don't participate in a lot of the vmware ecosystem right now the vmware corporate ecosystem i just turn it off yeah I read mail through a browser and that's it. So interesting. All right, we're coming up at the top of the hour. So uh, Wouter, thanks a lot uh, for coming on and uh, thanks for doing your blog. Uh, we'll do a shout out to your blog again if you want to go check it out. It's uh, his last name's in reverse. So, uh, well, it's his first name in reverse. So R-E-T-O-U-W dot N-L for the Netherlands. Go check out his blog. It's a great blog. Uh, start learning how to write some code. And he takes you through how to do to control Horizon using APIs. So uh, great blog. Thanks a lot for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, last words from you, uh, Matt. Also, uh, just a shout out uh, to Wooter again on Twitter as well. His uh, Twitter handle, Magnet uh, underscore NL, uh, a great contributor to the community, a strong EUC advocate. I know I'm a big follower and always see his posts and, and, and read them with the interest of, of everything that he's doing with all things automation and trying to push what we can do with the, uh, the Horizon stack. So, Wooter, thank you for being on today. Thank you for your contributions and can't wait to see what the the next thing is that you come up with to, to make all of our lives here a little bit easier and with that we'll see with that because you've listened to the end we will do the barbecue report so i know tony foster has been uh, on uh talk show don't know if he has one i do have a small <laughs> report so tony foster what's new with barbecue i haven't had a chance to barbecue this week so all right well then i'll do i'll do my anything new I'll do my report. Um, so uh, we splay its chickens. So we take whole chickens and we splay them and we put jerk sauce on them. I've reported that in the past. Um, and leave Was that them opposed to warm chickens, Eric? Uh, uh, I don't know. Like we just splay chickens, whole chickens. Did I you say something cold wrong? chickens? Cold I, chickens. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. We put them in the fridge and we do let them... Uh, season overnight with jerk sauce you can buy jerk sauce online just google jerk sauce uh, wear some rubber gloves because that stuff will make your hands smell for like a week if you don't so get some rubber gloves uh get whole chickens cut them down the uh, not the not the breast but on the other side i guess we call that the back cut them down the back and splay them out flat and you jerk them with some rubber gloves put them in a bowl leave them in the fridge overnight all right so then they'll pick up that amazing peppery jerk sauce then we just uh, light up some king's for coals, put them on the barbecue grill, and you just turn them every seven minutes. Uh, and that takes about 50 minutes on a regular Kingsfield coal barbecue. Uh, splay them out. You can do three whole chickens. Um, but then you need, when you're ready to serve, uh, what you want to get is one of those cleavers. You need a cleaver, right? And then you just chop the thing in half down the breast, right? And then you just chop it into two-inch square chunks, Right. And uh, that lets the, the, the jerk sauce kind of get on the inside of the meat when you're chopping it. The act of chopping it will chop through the jerk sauce that has been cooked, but it's it's very spicy. That'll give the inside meat spicy pieces. And then your guests can uh, can just take one inch squares. It has the bone. You just chop right through the bone. So legs, you just chop it into, you know, two inch squares, breasts two inch squares, thighs, two inch squares. So you just have a big bucket of, you know, two to three inch, you know, square-ish, right? Cause it's pieces of chicken. So, uh, and then you got, you got that. And that, uh, that just gets all seasoned up really, really nice. And your guests can take two or three chunks on a plate. If you want to, you can make some potato salad, some beans, and boy, you're in business for a nice summer barbecue. So we did that last week, but well, that's kind of a go-to favorite when the weather gets warm and it's nice outside. And I'll tell you what, it is simple to do because because you just get those chickens and cut them in half. And three chickens is a lot of chicken, so it'll feed a lot of uh, people. And because it's jerk, it'll last in the refrigerator for a week or so because the jerk acts as a preservative. So once you've cooked it, uh, you can put it in the fridge. And it's spicy and yummy. We still have some left over the, from the weekend. Uh, that thing, that, that stuff will last all week long. You can take some bread rolls and make jerk, jerk chicken sandwiches. Uh, so those are also very good. So. That's my. Is there a jerk seasoning that you recommend? 
Uh, no, I don't have one. We we have some that we buy online. Uh, let me see if I can go Google that. But uh, it's just uh, jerk sauce. Jerk, jerk sauce is just jerk sauce. It uses Scotch bonnet uh, peppers uh, with some Ooh, other stuff. It's a little heat. Yes, yes, yes. It is definitely not super spicy. Just depends on. But by the time you smear it all over the chicken, um, it's good jerk seasoning. Safeway. They even have it. There you go. We use uh, Walker Woods traditional hot and spicy jerk seasoning. Uh, you can get a case of it for $106, um, so you can get a lot of it. We do buy it uh, in the in the in the larger quantity because you know you'll use maybe a third of a jar, yeah, maybe to half a jar every time you do like three chickens. So I will buy that. Um, I think that for uh, you know 14 uh, 14 or nine dollars, you can get Walker Woods Jamaican jerk seasoning for but one bottle at a time for. Uh, for nine, ten dollars. So there you go, or a case of it for 106. And you got to watch because they have mild, medium, and hot. So you got to decide. I think we just do medium. So there you go. You can Google that. It is on Amazon. Walker Woods Jamaican Jerk Sauce. There you go. All right. And with that, we're past. We're one minute past the hour. Wooter, thanks a lot. Matt, thanks a lot. Uh, Tony Foster, Graham, thanks for being around. Uh, we'll be back again next week, as always. Go register for the uh, Workspace Everywhere event on VMware.com and have a, a good time. That will be happening next next week before we get back to you. So go register and uh, have a great weekend and, get, and eat some barbecue. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.